The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com I'm Neil Zacharias and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. I recently had the pleasure of sitting down with Kelly Sweetie, CEO of Sweet Earth Enlightened Foods, to talk about her incredible journey with the company and her unique take on everything from the importance of fresh ingredients and bold flavors in food to the recent acquisition of Sweet Earth by food giant Nestle. Kelly has a background in the fashion and food space. She was previously the head of global marketing at Calvin Klein, and before that she held various marketing and sales roles at Pepsi. But making healthy, wholesome meals easily accessible to everyone is Kelly Sweetie's life mission. Kelly used her years of experience to build a thriving plant-forward food company, Sweet Earth. She helped grow the business from a small operation to one that has national distribution and is now part of Nestle. In our conversation, Kelly shares the story of Sweet Earth and addresses many of the concerns that consumers have brought up in response to the recent acquisition. She also provides unique and thoughtful insight into brand building and how she has helped ensure that everything from the ingredients to the packaging of Sweet Earth products exemplifies their motto of enlightened food. Kelly's ultimate goal is to change the food system and make convenient, sustainable, and healthy foods the new norm. To achieve that goal, she believes you have to change big food. And from the looks of it, Sweet Earth is doing just that. Kelly, sweetie, thank you so much for being on the Eat for the Planet podcast. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So you've had a long and successful career prior to even starting Sweet Earth, um, the food company. Uh, you've even worked in big food um, briefly in the past. Why did you start Sweet Earth and what was the mission when you started this new uh, initiative and endeavor of yours? As you said, um, I felt like I had been fortunate and had a successful career in um, a number of industries, medical, food, and fashion. And I felt that I was blessed to have an incredible um, opportunity to work with some of the finest companies and finest business people around. And that if I could do one more thing, I would like that one more thing to be something that I believed in, that was something that would be a lasting positive legacy. And the thing that I feel most passionate about, have for a long time and continue, is food. And I felt that there was a need for more sustainable plant-based foods in the American food system and certainly across the world. And I felt in some small way, in a regional way, perhaps, I could make a difference by creating something different, unique, but absolutely delicious. Wow. And I know I've read that your daughter had uh, something to do with you choosing to get into the space, too. She was vegetarian. Um, mm -hmm. tell, tell me, tell for our listeners who don't know um, you and Brian and your backgrounds, how important it was it for you to do this in a way that would be different um, and values and mission driven 
as opposed to another big business that would scale quickly and um, achieve a lot of success. Not to say that success is not a good thing because you can't make an impact if you don't succeed. Exactly. But how did you sort of approach it? To what extent was this um, a family passion versus and uh, uh, a family initiative versus um, uh, just another business? Well, taking, um, taking from your first point, uh, Brianna became a vegetarian when she was in high school. And um, while many other people in the family, and we have a large family, uh, became concerned about it, I was wonderfully excited because I ate mostly vegetarian anyway, being from Michigan, from a farm community. Um, so as I began making meals for Brianna and teaching her how to cook and prep herself for college, um, I learned how challenging it was to get the right um, nutritional profile, how much additional work it takes to you know, cut and chop your vegetables, get your proteins, get your fiber, get all the required nutrients. And it stuck with me long after she, she got into school that um, this was the way that I continued to eat and we loved it. Um, she was out here in California, went to school in California and she'd come out and we would cook big dinners for lots of friends. So we really, um, we really were inspired to try to create beautiful, colorful, nutritious and delicious food. Um, so when we started the business, it was first me, and then it started um, taking off, and Brianna joined us six months later, and Brianna ran production in the kitchen. Um, I was doing the recipes and marketing and kind of running the overall business, and then we brought Brian in mm -hmm. because it really looked like um, we had many more opportunities than a small regional um, opportunity. And then as we've continued to grow the business, eventually uh, Brianna did leave and go back to school. Um, but Rick, sweetie, came in and he's done our website. So if you take a look at the Sweet Earth website, I think it's beautiful. And that's another um, signature family member. So it really is a, it really was a family business and, and a labor of love, mm -hmm. something we believe in. Um, we have been supporting the School of Sustainability at Arizona State for, um, boy, more than a decade, maybe 15 years or so. And we really believe in sustainability, and probably the biggest single lever to, towards that is the food system. And from the work that Brianna had, had done at, at Stanford um, in working in Earth Systems, um, it became abundantly clear to us that that was an opportunity that needed, uh, you know, needed more professionalism, more of a push, um, people that can understand and build a business. Mm -hmm. And that really was attractive to us, um, that we could do something that we believed in that makes a difference. Yeah. And I think when you started, maybe coincidental, but the timing was almost perfect because there was a... Yeah. Um, maybe you did notice these trends, uh, an increase in interest in plant-based uh, food in general and clean protein mm -hmm. um, in global flavors. Um, and I think the American palate has been shifting over the last few years. And uh, Sweet Earth has definitely been part of that story. Um, so when you did start off with Sweet Earth, what was the, um, where did you see this company say in the next five years, did you even think that far ahead or were you just happy to be working on something um, that you and the rest of your family shared as a passion and to be able to watch that grow was uh, satisfying enough? What was, the, what was the goal, if any, at that point? I think there's another piece of this mm -hmm. that if you look around us, those of you on the you know, listeners can't <laughs> see this, but we're in the heart of Salinas Valley which is one of the most abundant agricultural areas in the world. We're surrounded by artichoke fields and Brussels sprouts, and our friends grow onions and sweet potatoes. So we're in this really rich farm area. 
And we really felt that um, we live in this incredible community in the Monterey Peninsula, but it's only incredible and viable when people are able to have jobs and good jobs. So we also felt as members of this community that that was something we could bring to this area that had meaning and value. Mm -hmm. So bringing jobs, leveraging the abundance of the area surrounding us just felt like um, just a perfect synergy. Yeah, and you've built uh, your own manufacturing uh, facility over here. Um, so you, when you started off, you were clear that you were going to run this out of this location um, to the extent that was going to be possible as you continue to scale. And you've largely stayed true to that in the last few years. Can you tell me a little bit more about how that journey has been since those early days when um, you were just experimenting with recipes probably um, to, and we'll get to the acquisition obviously, but before that, how has the journey been in the last few years to see this, what started off pretty small, to grow into this brand that has um, distribution around the country? Exciting is doesn't uh, do justice <laughs> to what a wonderful um, adventure this has been and will continue to be. So just things like um, we have a gong, which will be ringing at some point in, um, in the uh, work area here. Every time we get a new account, we ring the gong and everyone runs out and we tell them who, you know, which account did we just bring on and what are they going to buy? Um, every time we're able to secure, you know, a, a incredibly needed lot of organic produce that we haven't been able to get our fingers on. We ring the gong. So we have um, a real go get them sort of energy out here about being able to do what people said you shouldn't do. Um, so many people told us, don't make your own food. Use co-packers. You know, use um, people who are experts at it. And I have to say there's an incredible wisdom to that. But for us, nobody was doing what we were wanted to do. And we felt that in order to get the quality and the diversity of ingredients and the ability to turn quickly, um, you know, to pivot and move in a direction that uh, we felt the consumer was heading, um, we needed to have that control. So that would be an example of um, something that was an exciting, but also a very high-risk uh, beta moment, self-manufacturing. Um, and then, you know, getting into, getting into dis different distributors was really exciting because that opened up different parts of the country. So as we looked at things in the beginning, we felt we're a West-based company. We most likely, you know, would have West Coast um, customers and West Coast production because they understand our food mm -hmm. and the sensibility here that we have about ingredients and about color and vivacious, bold flavors. But then we found, fortunately, that that kind of food profile, I call it flavor forward, mm -hmm. um, really was everywhere. And some of our, um, you know, some of our top markets are out on the East Coast. So, you know, you never know when you start where you're going to end up. Yeah. And, you know, talking about your ingredients and your flavor profiles, uh, for listeners who may have never tried your food mm -hmm. um, or maybe tried it but didn't re realize that you are so um, particular about <laughs> what you put into each product, um, um, can you tell us more about that in terms of how you approach ingredients, what lens have you gone to to ensure that you only include the kind of ingredients that you consider to be clean and ones that you would be proud of, um, your whole approach to that? Uh, it is a, an, it's an essential point of difference. The selection that we make on our ingredients, we believe in using fresh herbs and a bold spices and a variety of spices that are authentic to the region of the dish. Um, most of our recipes um, represent global flavor profiles because I believe that's the way modern people want to eat. 
they want to be excited about the flavor. They want to be tantalized by spices. And they want to feel that um, they're, they're eating something that really is representative of the region. And the only way you can do that is by using authentic spices and fresh herbs. The difference between a dry herb and a fresh herb, sometimes a dry herb might be right, but most of the time we find that you just don't get that same characteristic. Uh, you certainly can't get cilantro or basil to taste, you know, the way it really, uh, it really should in a recipe. Mm -hmm. So for us, we use fresh onions. We use fresh potatoes because that makes the recipe better. Um, and those flavors come across, and we're very particular about it, um, as you say. Great. So given you've got a mission-driven company that is a passion project, labor of love, mm -hmm. um, several members of your family have been involved with the company, The each product and recipe uh, that you've put out there has come largely because of your attention to detail and focus on quality. Mm -hmm. And the company was growing and growing national. Why did you decide to sell and how did that come about? One of the things, um, the fact that our food was being recognized um, as being a not only plant-based food, but it was plant-based food with global flavors, um, high protein and high fiber. So we were focusing in areas that maybe other companies were slow to recognize. Um, going after um, texture, color, flavors, um, the things that we were doing were hitting so many trends that um, a lot of companies were, larger companies were stopping by and kind of checking us out at the various food shows or calling in and, and checking. So I think part of it um, has been, you know, exceptional coverage mm -hmm. that um, we were able to get from like the New Hope people, New Hope 360 and yourselves and other nutritionists and publications that pick up and talk about hey, why, if you're going to eat this, if you're going to eat a, a quick snack or um, a quick convenient dinner, why not eat one that has protein, fiber, high in vitamin A and C, and it happens to be delicious mm -hmm. and plant-based. So those were the, we were hitting a lot of buttons that made it very difficult to be under the radar. And so that's really how um, the uh, contacts began with other companies. But I, I would add a second point to that. Um, there's someone knocking on your door, and but there's also the challenges of running this kind of business. Um, the frozen food business is probably, we're in frozen and fresh, but it's probably one of the most uh, competitive segments in the market. You have to have a supply chain on the incoming um, in order to source all your ingredients. And we use hundreds of organic ingredients, which offers many, many challenges to a small company like ours. Yeah. Uh, but then on the other end, we have to ship our food across the, across the country. And we aren't necessarily doing truckload shipments. Mm -hmm. Very rarely would we do that. We're doing you know, a pallet or a couple of pallets. So this whole supply chain aspect is something that somebody who's not in the, in the industry, you can't overestimate how complex, how expensive, and how challenging that is for a small company or medium-sized company to manage. Mm -hmm. It takes real expertise. And those are things that make a difference between your company being viable and your ability to sell, for instance, food on the East Coast or not. Mm -hmm. So what were you hoping from the, the acquisition in terms of... Um... I'm sure while you were in those conversations with Nestle and other companies in the beginning, um, were you looking for a partner that would take Sweet Earth and get your products to more places and uh, scale your production? What were some of the goals through, because at the end of the day, being acquired is a, is a partnership in some ways, um, 
at least in the first few years, um, until you figure out where this piece fits in, in within the bigger company's uh, arsenal of products, right? So exactly. How do you see that supporting your mission? Did you have any concerns that would it would um, the attention to detail in terms of quality would reduce? Yeah, what do you what are what are what were deal breakers for you in terms of um, what is the future of Sweet Earth now under this new big umbrella? Well, a deal breaker was we believe in um, our mission needs to stand as being a plant based food company. That mm -hmm. would that was the deal breaker. Um, number one. Number two, um, we we felt that we wanted and frankly they wanted from us to be able to run the operation and continue to do the type of food that we think the market is looking for um, and what in terms of what we were looking for i call it the you know the nuts and bolts behind the curtain we were looking for it systems we were looking for um, HR systems and we have enough employees that we have to do things like benefits mm -hmm. and protecting our uh, internet and our intellectual property um, those things require lawyers and all these behind-the-scenes things including the logistics piece that I mentioned the supply chain piece those are very complex um, expensive overhead components of any business in order to do great food as you get bigger and bigger those operations have to be seamless mm -hmm. and we wanted and felt that we really needed that help mm -hmm. for the behind the curtain kind of things yeah and i certainly think that um nestle's clout in the marketplace will help us um in our sourcing ingredient sourcing um, I think there's some wonderful things they'll be able to assist us with in terms of engineering at our facility so we can continue to make sure um, our employees and our food is at the very highest standards. Mm -hmm. And those are, are, are real benefits that as you get bigger and bigger and you're producing you know, more and more shifts, it can be more challenging and you want the best people you can get working in that aspect. Right. And so, you know, to the extent you can reveal some of these plans, even do you see, say, a year from now, this um, your manufacturing going beyond just this facility in um, California? Do you where the short term where's the short term focus going to be to take this um, loved brand and scale it up in a way that um, is beneficial to your employees? Uh, is beneficial to your the growth of your products um, and the growth of your business, and in and and you can't forget the third big stakeholder, which is your customers, the, right. the most important ones. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing um, that I can say to that because it's it's kind of premature in a number of fronts, but if you look at all the people that make frozen food. So we have our, our entrees, our bowls, and our burritos, and our breakfast sandwiches, which are frozen. Um, almost everyone we're competing with has a presence on the East Coast or the Midwest and the West Coast. And we just have West Coast presently. So that, um, that assures that our products are going to be more expensive mm -hmm. because we have to ship them all across the country. So we're hoping that um, having logistically food manufacturing in the right places to get it to our customers is going to have some um, cost advantages. So while our food is at a premium relative to uh, many other companies, you can't get so far out there that customers can't afford it. Yeah. And I believe healthy food is something that should be available for everyone, not just the elite. It needs to be, you want this quality, you want this kind of nutritional profile available to everyone. Mm -hmm. And you, you can't do that just shipping from this one location. Yeah. So I think that's one of the benefits that we'll be looking towards in the future. 
great. No, that's very important. At the end of the day, while we love the small natural food companies um, and we love the quality of the food that they're producing, the reality is um, largely they're available only in the coast now and cost way too much for most people to afford um, in other parts of the country um, or depending on, you know, what your socioeconomic situation is. It could be you could live in New York and still not afford it. Right. What, from a customer standpoint, I know you have um, very passionate, um, you, you know, I think the best part about work in the plant-based food space is you don't just have uh, customers or consumers. Uh, you have uh, ambassadors. You have passionate fans mm -hmm. who um, not only do they love the products and the brands that they consume and they buy, but they become then the voice for them and start um, encouraging other people to eat those products as well. Obviously, you did face some customer pushback um, because of the news um, with the acquisition. What would you like to tell your core consumer base that uh, has followed your products, uh, supported the company, um, continues to um, uh, be excited about every new product release? What would you tell them, especially if those who are concerned that... Um, this change in Sweet Earth is going to dilute the mission behind the company and dilute the quality of the products? The first thing I would say is that you have changed the world. The fact that you have supported plant-based and vegan vegetarian food, you have changed the food system. When the largest food company in the world stops and takes notice and says, this is the kind of food that is redefining healthy, and we want to be a part of that. We want to make that statement in our portfolio. Um, I don't think they t those that are angry should recognize and take some credit mm -hmm. for um, their recognition their intelligence and their enlightened eating has really changed the food system. So in, in one way, it's like, okay, you've won. Mm -hmm. um, but don't, you know, kick the can. Because <laughs> yeah. game over. You right. won. So, I, I, you know, I, um, I understand those concerns, and they're perfectly understandable. And we're just going to do our best to stay... Um, true to our values, uh, Brian and I will be staying uh, with the company. We didn't do this to make, we didn't start this company to make a fast buck. This has been incredible work, and um, we have contracts, and we're going to continue to stay and honor and work with incredible um, passion mm -hmm. to try to make this uh, business everything it should and can be. Right. No, I think that's people are starting to understand that more, that this is a natural next step in the evolution of um, us succeeding, um, of us getting the food system to be full of companies and brands and products um, that provide convenience, taste, and are healthy uh, at, a, at a price that people can afford. And I think to get to that point, we are going to have to... Um, partner with others and they are going to do it more so because they see the opportunity as well in this space. They, they want to reach your consumers. Right. If you want to change the food system, you have to change big food mm -hmm. because they have too much of a stake. You have to have those companies with the most at stake saying, oh, this is the right kind of food. This is what we think um, represents our values and um, is best for our community and the world at large. And I believe the future of food is plant-based and the disruption has begun. And this is another you know, signal that mm -hmm. it has started. Yeah. You know, and also what, what I think is uh, good about your story is the, um, in, you keep hearing a lot about... Um, innovation and um, a, a lot of terms that are typically have been used in the technology industry being used to describe food um, 
not to say that you've not been innovative in terms of your products, but um, your focus on innovation has been more out of the kitchen rather than, um, for lack of a better word, a, la a laboratory. So mm -hmm. um, I think that's an interesting because uh, consumers... And I've been saying this a lot recently is that consumers want simplicity. They want clean ingredients. They want um, more flavor from their food, but they don't want to um, make a plant-based food choice to only find out that they're now putting in um, some processed um, chemicals into their body um, that are potentially harmful for them. So you're, you know, back to your the reasons why you chose to do those things with your products, mm -hmm. I think are the reasons why you've been successful and the reasons were because you believed in that, not because you you saw that in four years' time the world would be ready for clean plant protein. Right. Um, there's no way you could have known that at that point. Well, I think um, food in its purest form really speaks for itself and is inherently healthy. So if we want the protein from pea, we're using peas and flaxseed. And we believe that um, real, clean ingredients, non-GMO, as organic as we can be, is the way people want to eat now. And they want those combinations of the way they, could, they would make it at home if they had the time, if they had the ingredients, and of course, the expertise. And that's the value that convenience food brings to you. And healthy food is no longer can just be healthy. It has to taste fabulous. Yeah. And it has to be better or as good as you can make at home. Or why bother? And it has to be, I think, as good as or let me restate that, I think you want to have the kind of food that you would order at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. So when I look at the bowls and the um, you know, profiles of the dishes we've chosen to make, these are things you would order if you went out. Not um, you, Nobody eats pasta every night or pizza every night. You want variety. You want bold flavors and interesting um, ingredients and profiles from other countries. And that's what we're trying to, mm -hmm. trying to bring in a plant-based format in a way that you don't feel like you're missing anything. And in fact, you're getting more than you expected. Yeah. You know, I'm going to shift um, gears a little bit from your ingredients and you know, delicious food to... Um, how you've chosen to brand and market Sweet Earth, because I know you have a stellar brand management, marketing background. What lessons have you learned uh, while applying that skill and knowledge in from um, your previous experiences into this new world of plant-based foods? Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure it's been a fun and experience applying your previous um, knowledge, but also the learning curve of um, something brand new. Absolutely. Um, probably was one of the most exciting things is if you can create a brand, um, being able to take a clean state and have it say and mean what you want it to mean. Um, that's what I had the opportunity to do with Sweet Earth. Um, so, you know, I really started by doing a market assessment. And I went into what was sort of considered the alternative meats section at the time much of which was dominated by tofu and other kind of white plasticky packages. Um, and as I looked at what was on the shelf, I said, having a, come from a hospital company, this is hospital packaging. <laughs> <laughs> this is not anything that um, tells you about flavor or how you, what you might make with it. Um, I felt like um, the branding that was going on at the time, and this was 2011, was completely out of step with where food was and where somebody who really loves food wants to eat. This, you know, this was the last aisle you'd want to go to for something delicious. So I thought that that was the first thing. I wanted to contrast those white hospital packages mm -hmm. with something that was bold and modern. So that um, simplicity, the modernity aspect of our 
of our design kind of comes from the experience I had at Calvin Klein, yeah. you know, just working and, and trying to um, communicate in a very cl clear and clean way um, what it is that you have to offer. And I believe in visual imagery. And so the, the photography of what you could do with your food and what values you're trying to communicate um, with your food are, are very evident. But I also felt um, our icon, the Zen farmer, um, was important in that he communicates our peace and harmony with the land. And it has a little bit of a throwback to farming days gone by, like the old crates, mm -hmm. so that horizontal spread of the sweet earth. So the idea was something that was ancient, but modern, simple, clean, but incredibly flavorful, and stood out against what else was there. That really was, in a nutshell, you know, what I was going for. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think you're, you described that really well now that I'm looking at your uh, packaging <laughs> while you're describing it. Um, do you think, um, well, that's starting to change now. If you look at the natural food space, um, I've seen, um, I can't say similar, but the bold branding mm -hmm. is, seems to be everywhere now. Um, yeah. as I think also the, the demographics shift, um, and younger people are choosing to eat this way too. Mm -hmm. Um, and, a lot of, um, I would say the the food is starting to speak for itself, uh, minus um, the historically natural foods. I'm going to rephrase that. Historically natural foods has been looked upon as uh, the 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 products you go to if you uh, like shopping in a natural food store. And I think the most successful brands in the last few years are able to pull the good from that halo of um, the farmer, even the the hippie days of the 70s, but mm -hmm. merge that with the bold, modern um, social media age colors and fonts um, mm -hmm. to present something that um, attracts people's attention, but also tells a story at the end of the day of what is in that package. I want to inspire a meal. If you're going to buy, whether it's our Tuscan grounds or our seitan, I want a picture there that you could look at and go, oh, I need one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. um, and I really want to make that. So uh, I, I think that's an important job of a marketer with your packaging. It, and, you know, if you're going to get your products into a retailer, you owe it to them to do the best you can to make your products pop off the shelf and then deliver the best experience you can to the consumer. Mm -hmm. To what extent has um, social media and digital media played a role in your marketing efforts um, to tell the story beyond the package? Mm -hmm. Social media has been extremely important. Um, you, you mentioned that uh, you do, with any brand starting out, you have to get kind of an, a cornerstone or evangelist group of consumers. And we were very fortunate to get a number of consumers that were on social media, that were vocal and active, and uh, made a point of sharing, this is the kind of food I want to eat. It represents my nutritional values, my sustainability values, um, and it's worth a try. And then if you can get that kind of viral activity, it's extraordinarily powerful. For us, the most powerful vehicle has been Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, Instagram is certainly uh, growing and important, but we're also big pinners. Mm. So for those Pinterest people out there, yeah. if you haven't seen our site, we're very active there. And that's because we make these clean proteins. Mm. And our clean proteins are the perfect vehicle for communicating recipes. Mm. And we love to show you know, our creativity and share recipes and um, post and repin things that other people are doing that um, inspire us. So I think it becomes a real um, viral mm -hmm. activity that's been incredibly uh, supportive for us, and we can always continue to do a better job. 
But um, thank you for asking. That's a piece we love. Yeah, no, I think it's a huge part of um, what any company does um, in this day and age. And um, the beauty of uh, this space is that people who, as I, we kind of discussed this earlier, people who buy our products um, buy it because they like it, but they also believe in the company and the brand. And mm -hmm. social media is, a, is just a great platform, a great um way for you to then um, have that one-to-one -one conversation with them to whether it's even even on pinterest by by repinning someone you are acknowledging them mm -hmm. um on facebook by responding to their comment you are engaging with them mm -hmm. and i think that's it takes time and it takes effort but um the best brands are the ones that um i think uh for people seem to have a personality and when you talk to them whether it's on social media or when you email them or call customer service if you have that you feel like you're you're talking to that same um personality behind that name and that packaging right we um we believe very strongly that every every email every call we get needs to be dealt with with respect even if it doesn't isn't in agreement um, we believe in kind and uh, prompt responses as best we can. Mm. And that uh, conversation that we're able to get often triggers other discussions that we have internally. So, um, you know, we get incredible positives and good ideas, and then we get some negatives that will inspire us to go back and go, well, how can we do better? Yeah. And um, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, people listening who are either entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs who will now look at the Sweet Earth story and kind of try to make a case study out of it um, where that can be replicated. Mm -hmm. um, because I think there is a lot here that, that people can learn from. So I'm sure this is going to be a very tough question to answer briefly. Um, but what would you say to an entrepreneur who's looking to enter the same or similar space, um, what are the key sort of things they should be doing and avoiding to be able to have to, 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 to have the kind of success and growth that you've experienced? Um, maybe three tips that you can give someone who's looking to get down this path um, on the same journey as you have been. Well, the first thing um, is not trivial. It's doing a, a real competitive market assessment and making sure that whatever you're coming up with isn't, it isn't just something you can do, but something that has a real need. So a solution to a problem, something that consumers really want. And then you have to know who is that consumer that you think needs this and go after them and everybody's going to give you well i want this i want that um, and pull you in so many directions that you can end up not standing for anything so stick to your core values and i wrote a mission and a brand value statement early on and that's what i stick with and i check myself with it and I'm preparing a document that I'm sending to Nestle on what and who and what the Sweet Earth brand is mm -hmm. and what we represent and what we value. And that mission document is probably one of the most important things that you can create to hold yourself um, to doing something that really has the potential to have lasting value. Wow, that's a great tip. I think um, that that there's so much in there that um, that you can build from. So I think without those foundations, mm -hmm. uh, whatever else you do is sort of pointless. You need to set those clear foundations and then check it every now and then to make sure you're still on track. I have so many people that come to me and say, I make this great cookie. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to do this. I make a great cookie. It's like, how do I make that into a business? And it it takes more than that um, mm -hmm. to be successful. You have to really know there's a market and a consumer and put all these pieces in and then be willing to stick to what you, you believe once you've done that work and um, recognize that it's absolutely tireless work. 
owning your own company, you're working every day, all night, all day. I mean, I, I've personally been on Facebook answering uh, consumer comments at all hours of the night because that's when people are on. Um, you need to really be listening, working, and completely dedicated. It's not a part-time thing. Yeah. So the but the space is very exciting um that's why so many people want to get into it but um sometimes have way too much enthusiasm versus um having done the groundwork which is required and a, the mm -hmm. perfect mix of passion enthusiasm willingness to learn um and willingness to to respond to facebook comments in the mm -hmm. middle of the night is what uh, separates the successful companies from those that you never end up hearing about uh, looking at the plant-based space and what's happening since you've started and in, in looking back now and looking at what the current state of the market is, uh, what are you most excited about when you look around at um, where things stand today versus where they were perhaps when you were starting off with uh, this company? Well, I think there's been extraordinary growth in the plant-based milk category, and I think that's really exciting, and it really points to those consumers who are there are perfect consumers to be over in the clean protein area and um, entree and snacks. And um, that's been an area that I think has been really inspiring and really shows um, the opportunity. The second thing is um, just looking at how many people are eating our bowls or our burritos and just recognize it's great food. And they're no longer, you know, they're not all making a personal statement. They're making a food choice. Mm -hmm. So it's becoming more commonplace. And that's an important transition, too, because that means it's becoming more mainstream. And um, if we are going to change the food system, we can't just have a few people in it. We've got to have everyone who believes my food choice is personal but it's also communal because it affects my community and my world. And that's the way we look at it. And we hope other and more and more consumers will look that way. Yeah. And so I know you mentioned you have a contract now with uh, Nestle. You're very much on board. You're still here at Sweet Earth. What's next for you? Do you, when you look ahead, maybe not in the short term, but um, you know, where would you like to, if you some of your time does get freed up now, uh, because you have more resources, uh, where, where are you going to put more time and attention? Because you still very much are, um, you're obviously very passionate about this. Mm -hmm. So I don't see that slowing down, whether it is here I, or elsewhere. So what's next for you? Well, I, I certainly am 100% in on the, on the next phase of Sweet Earth and um, really am going to be committed to that and looking for what are the right next moves for us as a as a company in order to further our mission so i would say that's number one um you know number two i have two teenage boys left at home mm -hmm. <laughs> i want to make sure i'm doing the right things and communicating um, at their school um, i want to be able to talk to some groups about women in business um, i want to be able to talk to entrepreneurs as as you've mentioned, um, we've had some opportunities there. And I think we've um, blazed a trail that others can follow and maybe shortcut some mistakes yeah. through things we've learned, things we've done right, things we've done wrong. Um, I you know, hope to be open, um, open to that kind of experience. And I hope that we have the opportunity to meet with um, different groups within Nestle as well and communicate with them and have some influence there on where is the food system as we see it going mm -hmm. and vice versa learn what's happening in Europe and Asia and kind of try to bring some of those experiences back. Yeah. And, you know, you said this earlier too, um, I'm going to paraphrase probably, but um, you can't fix the food system unless you change big food. So yes. if you are successful at helping to make that happen. What kind of world do you see in, uh, or what kind of food system do you see in the year 2050, say 30 years from now? Um, what's your vision for that year if you're if you're successful in, in fixing what's very clearly a very broken food system today? 
That's a big question. Um, and I'm not sure I've thought that <laughs> thought that far out, but I do believe that plant-based foods are going to continue to grow and take over more of the agricultural land that's being raised for alfalfa and corn. Um, I believe those will be more uh, sustainable crops. I think there will be better water management as a result. Um, you know, it's it's just sickens me to see the news reports about the dead zones in the in the Gulf, and whether you know you eat fish or not, that's just killing um, senselessly in a system that isn't being looking looked at more holistically. So that would be my hope: is that the world and the country in general would look at the connections between our choices of food and the environmental impacts and begin shifting in a direction that is more in favor of the planet and the people and beings living on it. Kelly, sweetie, it's been an absolute pleasure <laughs> to talk with you today. This has been, uh, I could talk for another hour if we had the time, but um, thanks so much. And I look forward to um, keeping in touch and uh, seeing um, this journey unfold into this next phase uh, with Sweet Earth and for you personally, and to see um, us reach that point where we have a more um, just food system and a more balanced um, ecosystems around the world. Um, and I think the work you're doing um, is helping to make that happen. So thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.